0: Welcome to Ramblings with a Medical Historian. I'm your host, Nicole Curry, and this is the podcast where I ramble on about the history of medicine, such as fun facts, common misconceptions, and strange practices. I may even talk about other historical topics, such as local history. This is episode one. I will apologize in advance. This is my very first episode, and although I have done many takes, I am still getting the hang of recording and editing. I suppose I should start by introducing myself. My name is Nicole, and I have a BA in history. It was during my studies that I discovered and fell in love with the history of medicine. I have also worked in several museums in my city as an interpreter and an archivist. I am also a reenactor. I portray a British surgeon from the War of 1812. I explain the tools and surgical procedures, as well as compare the Western treatments to the medical remedies of the indigenous peoples, namely the Ojibwe in my area. So, that's a bit about my background. In this podcast, I plan to share what I have discovered in all the papers I have written for school. Therefore, the first topic that I would like to talk about is barber surgeons. I began to look at barber surgeons for my thesis, and I discovered a lot of misinformation. I will break this topic up into several parts. Part 1 this episode I will look at how barber surgeons are portrayed and I will discuss what I discovered in my research in subsequent episodes all right so what happens when you look up barber surgeons on Google the top search is no surprise Wikipedia according to Wikipedia The barber-surgeon, one of the most common European medical practitioners of the Middle Ages, was generally charged with caring for soldiers during and after battle. In this era, surgery was seldom conducted by physicians but instead by barbers, who, possessing razors and coordination indispensable to their trade, were called upon for numerous tasks ranging from cutting hair to amputating limbs. In this period, surgical mortality was very high due to blood loss and infection, yet since doctors thought that bloodletting treated illness, barbers also applied leeches. Meanwhile, physicians considered themselves to be above surgery. Physicians mostly observed surgical patients and offered consulting, but otherwise chose academia working in universities, or chose residence in castles where they treated the wealthy. Due to religious and sanitary monastic regulations, monks had to maintain their tonsure, the traditional baldness on the top of the head of Catholic monks. This created a market for barbers, because each monastery had to train or hire a barber. They would perform bloodletting and other minor surgeries, like pulling teeth or creating ointments. The first barber-surgeons to be recognized as such worked in monasteries around 1000 AD. For the most part, this account is correct. However, their development is not quite accurate. Now, let's see what appears second in the search. From ancientorigins.net, we have the gory history of barber surgeons, medieval medicine gone mad. Here is what they have to say about barber surgeons. From as early as 1000 AD, the role of surgeons and physicians was curiously separated. The surgeons were often catering to the lower class, while physicians resided in courts and castles. The latter only observed the afflicted, they considered themselves above the practice of surgery, and instead observed the patients. Physicians would spot the symptoms, injuries, and afflictions, and offer their counsel accordingly, relying on their academic knowledge to suggest the course of treatment. They would also be found almost exclusively in the service of the wealthy where they would treat the royal and aristocratic families, and their knowledge was held in high regard. These physicians studied in Latin and fluently spoke it. They were considered highly educated, and as such, the practice of surgery was considered beneath their dignity. But what of the other classes? The soldiers, peasants, monks, and workers? In their lives, Injuries and afflictions were commonplace, more so than with nobles. And as the physicians were loath to get their hands dirty, someone had to. The barber surgeons. While the physicians, mostly in the 15th century and onwards, were accredited and licensed by the universities in which they studied, barber surgeons, on the other hand, were not. They had to apply to the Trade Guild, and would subsequently become apprentices to barbers. This apprenticeship was often difficult, rough, and mixed up. It covered a range of services, although it was connected with barbers. Over time, the term barber-surgeon was born, and the basic service of a barber gained many other tasks. An average surgeon that was trained in one of these guilds was tasked with a variety of healing tasks that physicians wouldn't do. The surgeon was expected to deal with basic wounds and lacerations, with burns and skin rashes, setting fractured bones and dislocated limbs, venereal diseases, lancing infections, topical applications, and applications of poultices. The more skilled surgeons would also perform demanding procedures including trepanation, amputation, cauterization, and delivering babies. The earliest and most basic roles of barber surgeons were connected to monasteries. Even as early as 1000 AD, they would be employed through guilds by numerous monasteries around Europe. The main reason for this was actually because of their barbering skills. They were on hand to cut the monks' hair regularly as they needed to be tonsured. Tonsuring is a religious practice of shaving the top of the head. But in time, the barbers were allowed to do more than just cut hair in monasteries. In fact, cutting hair was done in their spare time. As monasteries took on the role of hospitals and sanctuaries, especially in France and Germany in the Middle Ages, Barber surgeons took a real medical role. Haircutting went on to bloodletting and bloodletting to setting limbs, and eventually came amputation and everything in between. Now, this account is a bit longer, however, it still has issues with how barber surgeons developed and their progress through to the 15th century. Now the next article that we will look at is a little bit farther down on the list, but it is from a more well-known or reputable site, pbs.org. Here's what PBS has to say about barber surgeons. For centuries, surgery was a craft rather than a profession, and it was often practiced by barbers. In fact, up until the time a Sweeney Todd, a London resident would commonly visit a barber surgeon for the treatment of a health problem. Besides providing grooming services, barber surgeons regularly performed dental extractions, bloodletting, minor surgeries and sometimes amputations. The association between barbers and surgeons goes back to the early Middle Ages, when the practice of surgery and medicine was carried out by the clergy, but in 1215 a papal decree ruled that priests could no longer partake in any shedding of blood. Because barbers were accustomed to using a razor, it was presumed that they would be skillful in carrying out any treatment that involved cutting the skin, and so the practice was taught to them. During the 14th and 15th centuries, the Black Plague wiped out a vast number of university-trained physicians and barbers became increasingly relied upon for medical procedures. Flying barbers traveled from town to town, setting up tents and offering their services. In 1540, Henry VIII united the Company of the Barbers and the Fellowship of Surgeons with a royal decree and created one unified trade guild, the Company of Barber Surgeons. Barbers and surgeons remained joined in this way for more than two centuries. The practice of surgery was still in its primitive stage, but new discoveries were being made often. Barbers and surgeons regularly performed anatomical dissections on corpses to further their knowledge and master their craft. Though the guild ultimately divided, associating blood and dissection with the barber could have contributed to the lingering fear of barbers during this period so rather than saying the barber surgeons developed in 1000 AD they are giving the date of 1215 now this date is more accurate however they do mention the papal decree that ruled priests could no longer partake in any shedding of blood and also the formation of the Company of Barber Surgeons in 1540. Now these are two things where I found a few inconsistencies with. And so that is what we will begin to look at in our next episode. So stay tuned. You can follow Ramblings with a medical historian on Instagram and Facebook under that name. You can email me at ramblings.mh at gmail.com. You can find all the links for these social medias and the email, as well as the links to the articles in the episode description. Thanks for listening, and keep rambling on.